Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. Good stuff. Oh man, it's an exciting, exciting day. So um, you're like, well, since they're here, why, why did you and Bryce and, you know, why did y'all lead today? Because we wanted to. That's why. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, um, no, uh, they, they got in and I didn't want to put the, the pressure on them to try to figure all of that out um, real quick. And so uh, they will um, be uh, officially Uh, starting tomorrow. So EJ's first day is tomorrow, actually, in the office. So he's just here hanging out. So please get to know them, love them. You guys have done such a wonderful job um, just loving our family and embracing our family as we transitioned here over a year ago. And I know the caliber of people that we have here at BCC. (laughs) And so I know what you guys are going to do. You're going to love well. So just go do what you do, okay? So today I'm really excited because we're starting in the book of Titus, and we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Titus, so I want to encourage you to go ahead and follow along by jumping on there to Titus chapter 1, or following along on the YouVersion Bible app. Remember, just a quick little commercial, that we utilize the live event section on the menu of the YouVersion Bible app, and we post a uh, kind of follow-along of my sermon notes, and then you can also make your own notes in there, so utilize that. It's a really great tool to have, and I know that there's a lot of folks out there that are using that, but if you don't know about it, now you know. So go ahead and go to Titus chapter 1, and as you're looking for it, I just want to give you a little bit of the context of Titus. Titus was Paul the Apostle's co-worker in Christ, and Paul left Titus on the island of Crete. He instructed him to stay there to get the church healthy and to get it really well established, to go and find leaders, qualified leaders, and to help these people to know how to create a healthy church and how to live in a healthy way as people of God in this very, very dangerous and somewhat crazy island of Crete. Crete did not have a good reputation, okay? It was not somewhere that was like on the top 10 list of vacation destinations. Crete is not where you wanted to go. There were a couple of historical philosophers that I actually found. One, Cicero, he said, moral principle are so divergent that Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. Like, so this is what Cicero said about Cretans. Like, highway robbery? Oh, that's, that's honorable to them to do that. Um, Polybus said, it is impossible to find behavior, behavior or public policy more corrupt and unjust than that of Crete. So this is not a place you want to be. Matter of fact, the author of the popular book series, The Hunger Games, if you remember that, was actually loosely based on the rites and rituals of Crete during this time. So this is where Paul said, hey, I'm going to leave you to plan a church. Praying for you. <laughs> And so, like you can imagine, like Titus is not like super pumped to be there. And Titus is probably a little nervous, but he knows these people need the gospel, right? It's obvious. There's all sorts of stuff happening, and these people need to know about Jesus, and these, the, the Christians there need community and need fellowship. And so he's there to lead in this very dark place in a very dark time in history, and he was called to lead the church to rise above, to push back the darkness by living in the culture 
culture, but living by a different standard than the culture. So with all that in mind, let's read this first chapter of Titus. Titus chapter 1 says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So Paul uses this family language, right, when he's talking to Titus. He's saying, you're like my son. You're, you're my child in the faith. I'm, I'm mentoring you. You're like my son. I care about you. I love you. I want to see you do well. And he's reminding him of the faithfulness of God so that he can be mindful of the God that he serves and that the reason that Paul left him there, he's not abandoning him. He's saying, no, God's faithful even in the middle of all of this. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders into every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good works. So here, after Paul opens up this letter to Timothy, he says, all right, I need to get down to business. Let's get on task here because I left you here for a reason and you need to go about appointing elders into every area because when we're talking about setting up the church, we wanna make sure that there's proper, proper oversight. But let's clarify what we mean here when we're talking about elders. The words elder, pastor, bishop, they're all synonymous in New Testament Greek because that word simply means overseer. The only real distinctions that are made are between two Greek words, a Greek word episcopal and presbyter, and both are translated as pastor, bishop, and overseer into English, which could be interpreted, those two different ones, as like a key authority figure or overseer with other overseers under their leadership. We just don't know for sure. Church polity and governance began to develop over the ages, and so there's different ways of looking at that. But these words are different 
if you read in the Old Testament the word elder. So if you see elder in the New Testament and elder in the Old Testament, you're reading two different concepts and two different ideas. Even though there are some things that are similar, you're reading two different things. And so I want to clarify that because if you read elder in the Old Testament, you're reading primarily like about a village elder, which was like an older, wiser person who helped the community navigate like their affairs and their issues, like local government, okay? So when they're talking about elders in the Old Testament, you're primarily talking about those older village-wise leaders, not necessarily authority figures in the local church, okay? Um, these elders that Paul is talking to Timothy about were always appointed by a leader, okay? And this was a rhythm of the first church is that they would appoint elders. Uh, there would be a leader, an apostle, whoever was put in charge, they would appoint these elders in these different places. And in this case, this is Titus's task to appoint elders. And when we read Paul, you need to understand something about the way that he writes. He loves lists. Okay, and he'll just say like all of these things like in list form. All right, are you like a list person where you have to use all these descriptive words to and you like make a list? It's like this, it's like this, it's like that, and the right. And he keeps making like all of these lists, and Paul does this regularly in his letters. But here's how he writes: He always starts off with some of the most important things first, right? Because those are the things that are really on his heart. And so we can always see that in the style of writing that Paul would write, the first and the last things that he would write would kind of bookend like the most important things that he wanted to communicate and help people to understand. And then from that point, he's just really reiterating those same ideas. So really pay attention when you read Paul and you read the New Testament. Pay attention when he starts going into like list mode. Like look at the first few things that he's saying because that's really setting the tone for the rest of the list here. And I think that it's interesting because as Paul does this, the first couple of things that he mentions is that the most important things are a good name in the community and a strong Christ-centered family that has measurable fruit. These are two of the first things that Paul lists as qualifications for elders. He's like, do they have a good name in the community? Or, you know, do they like have all these things where people see there's like hypocrisy and there's like stuff going on that doesn't match up, it doesn't line up. Or do these people have a consistent good name? And if they do have a consistent good name, well, let's also look at their fruit of their main ministry. Because how many of you know that no matter how big of a platform that you have, no matter how many people want to hear or follow you or whatever the case may be, none of that matters if your family's not together. Hello? Oh, like three people believe that. I said like none of that matters if your family's not together. Because if you look at scripture, scripture says this is important. This is important because, man, you can have a charismatic personality. You can have an attractive, charismatic personality, and people may follow you because of your charismatic personality. That's why I, I want to give you some discernment tools to be able to grow in Christ because as you look at other people that may be speaking, teaching, authors even, that people get excited about, man, let me tell you, the greatest ministry is not the one that's done from a stage or from uh, behind an author's pen. The greatest ministry is ministering to your family. Greatest ministry is ministering to your family. Because if you don't have that fruit there, and if you're not investing in that, and you're not being intentional with that, man, then how can you care for other people if you're not caring for the people that you've been directly entrusted with? God puts a lot of importance in the home and on the family, amen? Lots. 
And so this is important. It was so important that he said, listen, elders have to have good names, and then they have to also have a family that is following God and one that has measurable fruit. Because having strong families is essential to being an effective church. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. <laughs> I said having strong families, it, it is essential to having an effective church. Doesn't mean perfect families, hello somebody, because ain't none of us perfect. You got crazy in your house, I got crazy in my house, right? It's not saying you don't have crazy in your house. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, are we pursuing and are we following God? Are we growing by pursuing God? In other words, are we different this, this time this year than we were this time last year? Like, are we pursuing God in a way where we're growing? Or are we just hoping, oh, I'll just take them to church and see what happens. I'll just put them in Christian school and see what happens or homeschool and just see what happens. I'll just, I hope, I hope. No, no, no. Am I being intentional, Right. Am I creating an environment in the context of my home that we're pursuing God? And it doesn't guarantee that everybody's going to follow God perfectly and everything's going to work out the way that we intended. But it's a priority in our home that we're setting. It's a tone that we're setting. It's important in our home to where church and Christ-centered community and the gospel and getting to know God aren't secondary things on our agenda, but rather those things become priority because our life is built around glorifying God, not, oh, we're going to go do our thing and then we'll just give God like a little bit of leftovers. You see, if we're going to really do all this stuff we've been talking about, which, man, I am pumped about. I'm excited about it. If we're going to do this stuff, it's going to take us putting God first at the center of our homes. Amen? And everything revolving around that. And so Paul's saying, listen, if you want your churches to be effective in Crete, Titus, you've got to find people who understand the priority in the home. You've got to find people who have good names, people who are, are men and women of integrity, people who are living this life above reproach, people who are actually setting the tone in their own houses if you expect them to set a tone in the church. Because that's what God has called us to do is be a healthy healthy church and that's what I want BCC to be but BCC for us to be a healthy church is going to take us prioritizing having healthy families that means having healthy relationships friendships marriages children grandchildren having healthy dynamics and learning how to keep God at that center in our homes people always say stuff like this and I understand what they're saying so I'm not being like super critical or anything but just a little bit uh, <clears throat> people say things like oh like put God first Okay, the only problem I have with that, okay, the only problem I have with putting God first is that when you put God first, when you get on to number two on your to-do list, then all of a sudden you're just kind of forgetting about God often in our lives. What I would say instead of say put God first, and I understand what people mean, so I'm not being super critical. What I am, what I am gonna challenge you to think is instead of put God first, put God at the center. Because if you put him at the center of your life, then it's like those spokes that come out. He literally affects everything. Not, I checked off my God box and now I'm moving on to other things. 
No, it's putting God at the center and he literally, he affects the way that I work. He affects the type of employee I am. He affects the type of friendships I have, the relationships that I have. He affects the types of things that I make with my, my entertainment choices. He affects the things that I prioritize throughout my week. He affects my calendar. He affects the way I spend my money. He affects the way that I uh, use my free time. He affects everything in my life because he's at the center and he's literally the priority in every one of the different roles that I have in my life, not just on Sunday, because anybody can do that. Anybody can show up, put on a good show and say, oh, I've got all this figured out because look, I come to church. Look, I listen to Christian music in the car. You know, look, I wore a, you know, what would Jesus do t-shirt or whatever. I don't know. But it's more than that. Those things are great. There's nothing wrong with those things. But at the same time, we have to have God at the center because we know that to be a healthy church, we have to have healthy families. It's essential to not only being a healthy church, but also being an effective church that's impacting and influencing eternity. Amen? And so this is not just a, a, a once a week gathering, man. Being the church every day of our lives, that's so important for us to understand. This is why the enemy attacks marriages and families so much, because he knows how essential they are. Don't you think he's going to go after the things that he knows are going to make healthy and effective and, and, and life-giving, powerful churches? Don't you know that he wants you to be distracted? Don't you know the enemy wants your family to be so busy that you have no time for anything except literally moving from one activity to the next and like you and your spouse are trying to figure it out, well, who could we get to take so-and-so to this activity? Who could we get to take? Well, you know, we've got this and then we got that. Oh, we, or we've got overlap now. Oh no, what are we gonna do? We call a friend, we call grandma, we got too much going on. Oh, well, how are you gonna get so-and-so to this practice and that? And man, our lives are just crazy and the enemy wants us to be so busy. And then even when we don't have like our schedule cram-packed and slammed full, what else does he have us doing? I don't know. I just don't have any time for Jesus or to serve or to, no, I don't have any time. What's this doing? Oh, I'm sorry. What, were y'all saying something? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's because the enemy wants to make sure that our lives are consumed with so many other things that become distractions to us that all of a sudden, this idea of living a Christ-centered life becomes very difficult because we just want to keep up with everything that we want to do, and he gets us distracted. And so Paul is saying, listen, Titus, the types of people that you have to have in leadership are going to be people who have not Christ only first at the, in the home, but have him at the center. And that's the type of people that need to set the tone, he's saying, for the rest of the people that are going to be in that faith community. And so church, we need to be a church full of influencers and leaders and people who are willing to put God at the center of their home and prioritize that in their families and make sure that the ministry of the family is above any other thing that we may try to minister to or do. Because if we lose our family, then what else do we have? A healthy church is going to be full of people that are pursuing health in their marriages and in their families. Like I said, not that we gotta have it all together because you're not gonna get it all together, but at least I'm pursuing God in the middle of all that and I'm prioritizing the family because I know God wants me to prioritize that because he's saying that's what's essential to be healthy and powerful and dynamic as a family. So a family with Christ at the center is a strong 
and, and, and with a strong biblical community surrounding it is going to be more likely to continue to serve God to the next generation. Amen? We just read the scripture last week from Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Remember where it said that after Joshua died, there rose up a generation after them that didn't know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. You remember that? Man, that scripture messes with me. I think about it all the time, and it motivates me when I wake up. It motivates me when I think about the things I have to do throughout the week. And, I, and, and, and it acts as a filter for me as I begin to think about what all I want to do and what all I need to do and have to do. And I think about Judges 2 and 10, and I look at my three kids, and I look at my wife, and I look at the friendships and the relationships that we have that are closest to us and nearest and dear to us. I look at those things through that filter and I say, Lord, how can I be intentional in those relationships to make sure that I'm keeping you at the center in every one of those relationships? By the way that I act, the way I react, the things that I do. And man, I'm talking about more than just having a Bible study. Hello, somebody. Oh, amen or oh me, I don't know. I'm talking about the priority in which we live, right? The priority in which we live that we're living on mission. You see... I'm not into this playing games things where we just show up and check a box, where we just show up and go, oh, I did my Jesus thing for the week. No, this is living with an eternal priority. It's living with our hearts being anchored in this message of the gospel that should motivate us to put him first in everything we do and affect and influence everything that we do, not just the things we do in this building, amen? And I love doing things in this building. Don't get me wrong. This is great. But what happens when you leave, man? What happens when you leave? What happens when you get back to work with that jerk boss that you work for? Like, what happens then? Or that you know who that coworker is. You know who he or she is. And you're like, oh, boy, got to see, you know, Margaret on Monday. And if your name's Margaret, I'm sure you're a lovely person. And I... And I hope it's not you that somebody's dreading to see. That name just popped in my head for some reason, so I just went with it. But what is the priority in your home? What is your priority at work like? Why do you go to work? Yeah, you got to earn a living. Okay, what else? What could God use you to do? Oh, I don't work with the public. I work on assembly line in a factory. Yeah, but you take breaks. You see other people. You interact with other people. You have someone you report to. What, what, what do you do? What, what's your priority? What are you looking at? What are you looking for? How can God use me? How can I depend on the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, use me today in every area of my life because I'm living with an eternal priority. You see, a strong, effective church is one that's going to produce strong, effective, good works because people are growing in sanctification to where their consciences are undefiled instead of like what Paul wrote to Titus where he said, man, those that don't believe, those that don't know, their consciences, man, they're defiled. But to the pure, all things are pure. To the pure, all things are pure. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But man, to the pure, all things are pure because they're trying to grow in that area of sanctification to be able to live the, our lives with the priority the way God wants us to. They're not looking at it as a checklist, looking at it as an honor that I get to serve. Looking at it as an honor that I get to love other people right where they're at, just like Jesus loved me. And that's how we live pure and holy before God. So here's our big idea for the day. Character creates credibility. Character creates credibility. Because the whole point 
of Paul giving Titus these instructions is because he wants the church to be effective right where they're at in the middle of Crete. And remember, Crete was not a popular place to go. Very wicked, very evil, right? And here Titus wants to influence people with this message of the gospel and get them to see their need for forgiveness and for redemption and reconciliation and to be in right standing with God. And he has this great message of hope and he's wanting them to see it, but Paul's saying, yeah, but for you to be effective, we've got to set up this Christ-centered community in a way where you've got people who can gain some credibility because of the way they live. People who are living different than the culture while they're still in the culture. People who are willing to say no when everyone else is saying yes and say yes when everyone else is saying no because it glorifies God. People who have principle and conviction but yet can still temper all of their conviction and their principle with love for other people right where they're at in the middle of all of that. This is what Paul's trying to establish. He says people that have a good name, not just within the Christian community, but with the unbelieving community too. Like these are the types of leaders that Paul said Titus should be looking for. He's saying, Titus, go out and find these people and make sure that they're people who have a home that has Christ at the center and that there's fruit there because that's what's gonna be needed because it's gonna give them credibility because when they have credibility, then their words and their message of hope now has credibility that maybe otherwise wouldn't have credibility. So he's saying, man, go and pursue this, pursue looking for these types of leaders because this message is so important and for us to reach these people, they've gotta see something different. Because if, man, if everybody that was just in the church and put in leadership looks like everybody else, looks, acts like everybody else in Crete, then go, well, why do I need that? That just complicates my life. I'm not interested in that. But they see something that's attractive. They see something that's different. They see something that maybe they're not used to seeing. They see a family actually be able to love each other and forgive each other and work through issues together rather than acting just like other, every other family in Crete. They say, man, that family's different. That guy's different. There's something different about him at work. I work with, with that guy. Oh, you're, you're an elder at a church? What does that mean? What's that about, you know? He starts talking to him about the gospel. He said, those are the types of people I'm looking for. Put those types of people in those roles because that's how the church is gonna continue to become healthy and more effective and gain influence. And so we have to be people of character, amen? Character is the standard for effective ministry in your everyday life. Character is the standard. And that means that my character is influenced by this integrity that's gonna do what's gonna bring honor and glory to God, even if it's not popular, even if it's not easy, because guess what? Mm, it's probably not gonna be. It's probably not gonna be easy. Because it's easier just to do what everybody else is doing, right? I mean, that's easy. Like, it becomes difficult, you know, to still like live in this world and love people right where they're at, but yet I'm still, I'm, I, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna be friends with you, I'm gonna be patient with you, I'm gonna be loving towards you, but I'm not gonna participate in some of those things with you. But I'm gonna love you right where you're at and show you I care about you. And I'm gonna live with integrity and with character. And that begins to soften even the hardest of hearts to the gospel. And it's weird, man, because people, when they find out that the reason you're different is because of Jesus, they get weird, right? This happens to me all the time. And I hate telling people what I do for a living because they get weird. It's like, we're cool. And then it like hits a weird gear. And it's like, oh, you're like, I'll be like <laughs> riding motorcycles with some friends 
And, uh, and like, like, hey, you mind if I bring a couple other people along? Yeah, that's cool. We're all riding motorcycles and we like stop, you know, to get something to eat. Oh, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, shoot. Um, <clears throat> uh, motivational speaker, you know, like that's like, <laughs> no. Uh, when I say I'm a pastor, all of a sudden, you know, all these bikers, they start going, oh, well, uh, yeah, I, I was baptized, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, all of a sudden I'm like, man, because they get weird on you all of a sudden. You know, and, and sometimes people, man, when they find out you're a Christ follower, they, they just start acting different. And there's some times where, man, we just start loving people. And then sometimes God uses that to open up a door. And all of a sudden, some of those bikers actually ended up talking to me about things that they wouldn't have talked to me about before. This happened to me in the gym several times. I, uh, you get to rhythm at the gym if you're somebody who goes to a gym, you know, you, you kind of find your time slot and you get your rhythm. And, and, and so you see some of the same people there at the gym. And I have like my people. And there was several years ago, there was this group, you know, I knew that Fireman Tom, you know, he's, he, he works out uh, over here on this machine on this day. So stay, stay away from that machine because Tom's coming in, right? And like you get to learn these rhythms. And I had been befriending these guys for probably six, seven months and just, you know, being friendly with them, hanging out with them, talking about working out and stuff. And like, what kind of protein you use, bro? Yeah. You know, it's like, <clears throat> and uh, anyways, uh, eventually one of them asked me what I did when they found out that I was a pastor, it got really weird. And uh, they started acting, you know, oh, I'm sorry for anything that I, you know, might've said, uh, you know, before. And I said, hey, hey, I said, did I still like, keep hanging out with you and interact with you, even though you were talking about those things and talking that way? It's like, well, yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, so do me a favor. I was like, I'm going to do my best to be me, and you're going to do your best to be you, okay? And I'm going to love you right where you're at, and I don't want the fact that you know I'm a pastor to change the fact that you and I are friends. I said, but I'm here for you, man. And all of a sudden, this guy starts sharing with me something about his daughter, stuff we never talked about, got into a lot deeper stuff. Next thing you know, this guy started coming to church, right? And he wanted to come to the church where I was at because he knew that I was loving him right where he was at, even though he knew that I was a Christ follower. And I began to minister to this guy. This guy began to bring other people. He had a whole row of people, like five, six people that he was bringing. They were all like people from the gym and people he was connected to. And they begin to hear the gospel. And it's just amazing. You see what God can do when we begin to live our lives with character and integrity. I didn't go out and walk in the gym and go, well, I'm a pastor and I'm here to pump iron. In Jesus' name, right? You know, I didn't, I, I didn't do that. It was by the way that I lived. And then all of a sudden this began to open doors. And just like for you, God will begin to open doors for you. You don't have to be a pastor for doors to be open. If you're somebody that loves Jesus and loves other people right where they're at, person who's pursuing living with integrity doesn't mean that sometimes we don't slip up man oh I shouldn't have done that shouldn't have said that shouldn't have participated in that but at least I have the Holy Spirit in me to let me know oh I shouldn't have done that and then the next opportunity that I have I make a different choice because I want to glorify God and I'm growing in that amen church and you see this is how that character begins to be a standard and it's not just a priority for me as a person as an individual but it's a priority in my home and we talk about how important it is in our home and we show them the why behind it because character begins to create credibility and credibility creates more opportunity because all of a sudden doors start opening where people began to be sensitive to the gospel and open and receptive to the gospel as to where before maybe they weren't. Maybe they didn't see somebody that was actually real. Maybe they didn't see somebody that would be vulnerable with their own struggles and their own issues and their own hangups and they thought all Christians were perfect. 
And you're like, no, let me tell you a story or two. Christians ain't perfect. And let me tell you about my story, right? And we start building that trust and that relationship. All of a sudden, you, you begin to live a life where that credibility, not your, not your perfection, but the fact that you are living with a different purpose, with a different focus, all of a sudden, God uses that in a powerful way. Abraham Lincoln said this, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And when I read that, I was like, oh, snap. I don't know how I'm gonna make that work in my sermon, but I liked it. <laughs> and since it's my sermon, I thought I'd put it in here. Um, <clears throat> said, anyone can withstand adversity, right? He said, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. I think the same could be true of you want to test somebody's character and see where their heart's at, give them a bunch of money, and they didn't have money before. All of a sudden, you begin to see what's in someone's heart, right? I think anytime you give anyone something in excess that they didn't have before, you really get to see a window into their heart, like what's actually going on, right? You get to really see what's underneath. And man, if, if what you needed more of, you were all of a sudden given it in excess today, what would it show about your heart? What would it show about your character? If somebody just came and like, you know, I don't, gave you one of those big giant checks, I would love to have a big giant check, take it to the bank just because it's big. <laughs> I know it's just for show, but I would actually take the big giant check. I think those are hilarious. If someone knocked on your door and gave you that, what, what, what do you think you'd do? I, you know, I, I think you know, a lot of times we, we, we have good intentions, right? Because what do people say? Lord, if you just bless me on this scratch off, I'll give it to the church, Lord. I'll give it to the church because, Lord, I just need one more seven. And you're like scratching it off. Lord, I, do. <laughs> I guess nobody does that. All right. People say, if I get the Powerball, Lord Jesus, I'm paying off the church's debt. So church, believe with me for that Powerball, right? That's what people have those thoughts. They have those ideas. But then, man, if they actually did win, ooh, you know, what actually does end up happening? Oh, you mean I could buy this kind of car? I got to live in this kind of house? Oh, hang on a minute, Jesus. You know, I, I got to get mine, right? You know, like I got to. Because we think we'll do these things, but will we actually, if you're given something in excess, what's in our heart? Because scripture says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also, Luke 12 and 34. Where our treasure is, is where our heart is. I want us to be a church full of people of character and integrity and growing in that. And not stopping growing just because we feel like we're coasting. No, 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 let's keep growing. Let's be more intentional by being people of character. Because intentionally raising the standard starts with God's agenda being your priority. It starts with sacrifice. Gaining in God's kingdom actually starts by losing. That's, that's this backwards kingdom thing where if we're gonna raise the standard and raise, raise the integrity in our home and raise that character standard, it starts by saying, okay, God, What's important to you? Let me find out what's important to you. Let me read about what's important to you, what's always been important to you. And as I read God's priority and I learn more about the heart of God through his word or through fellowshipping and connecting with, with his family in Christ in our community, all of a sudden now I begin to learn what's important. And as I'm learning what's important, it says, okay, I'm gonna do this on purpose. I'm gonna intentionally inconvenience myself. That's what 
biblical sacrifice is. I'm gonna intentionally inconvenience myself. That means on purpose. That means I'm gonna say no to something that maybe I really was excited about, that I really wanted to do, that maybe I was even in a rhythm of doing because God's calling me to say yes to something that's actually greater. And man, it may mean that some of the circles that I was a part of, maybe I gotta hit the pause button on that or maybe I gotta change my schedule because I just can't do everything. My kids can't do everything. My, your grandkids can't do everything. And you gotta go, wait a minute, what's most important? Do, do I have that set? Not what's left over. It's do I have what's most important set first? Have I really thought about that Matthew 6.33 priority? Mm, God, what's your agenda? I want, I want your agenda to be my priority. If we want people to listen to our message, which we do, if we want to get off of that list in the Quad Cities, that Barna said that we're number 15 on the most post-Christian cities in America, if we're going to impact and influence eternity to where there's not a generation that grows up not knowing God, but a generation that grows up knowing Him, if we want to see that change, then it starts with us saying yes to greater things. It starts with us living intentionally, on purpose. And if we want people to listen to the gospel message, and if we want to impact every generation beyond our lifetime, it starts with prioritizing God's agenda above just a Sunday building gathering and just in a small group, maybe once a week, but rather my lifestyle becomes one that says, God, what do you want? What's your priority? How do I build my life around that? Because church character creates credibility. Character, people pursuing God, being people of integrity, people of character, and it changes the trajectory of the church and it unifies the church and now all of a sudden it becomes something that we're doing for the glory of God and not something I'm doing to check a box. So God help us do this. We need you because we often get so mixed up and we get so focused on our own thing and God we, we want to live this thing out and so, Father, I pray you open eyes and you soften hearts to say yes to greater things today, whatever that greater thing may be. And whatever that thing is that we have to say no to, to position ourselves to say yes to the greater thing, God, give us the courage to do it. God, stir in our hearts such a conviction and a belief and a desire for what you want that we say Yes, even if it means intentionally inconveniencing ourselves because we want to live with kingdom priority and impact every generation beyond our lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.